I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Happy Labor Day. Who's ready for one last hoorah before the kids finally go back to school full-time and flannel season sets in, at least for those of us not in the warm climes of the southern states? But, sorry to burst your bubble, Labor Day really isn't about any of the fun things that you and I always think about. And have you ever even stopped to wonder why we're celebrating this holiday in the first place? I mean, beyond the obvious nod to celebrating a day off for the hardworking man and woman in America, have you really thought about the origin story at all? I have, and because of it, I've come to realize that it is easily the worst holiday on the American calendar. In fact, I've got three big reasons for that, and today on Critical Thinking, I'm going to be breaking them down for you. Yes, I'm Andrew Coppins flying solo on this Labor Day for you here on Critical Thinking, and both Pat and I would love it if you would make sure that you are subscribing to the podcast if this is your first listen, and as always, feel free to drop us a rating or a review, all of which help this number one critical thinking podcast in the world actually grow its audience. So, about hating on Labor Day and my reasons for disliking it so very, very much, what are those reasons exactly? Well, number one on the list, the labor movement is, and always has been, about socialist politics over everything else. And homie, don't play that game. In fact, Labor Day itself was founded by, and for, and on, socialism and socialists. Number two, the violence, the bigotry, the racism that came along with the foundation of the labor movement is absolutely disgusting and is hardly known in this country. And finally, number three on the list, recognition of Labor Day as a federal holiday was all about government appeasement of said socialist, violent, bigoted, racist labor unions and not their achievement of so-called workers' rights. Hard pass. Thank you very much. 
Look, I'm not naive to the fact that history is littered with stories of flawed people doing amazing things. But there is a massive difference between the perception of Labor Day and the movement that allegedly gave us that day and its reality, none of which suggests great people or great ideas, by the way. So why don't we break down those three reasons just a little bit here on Critical Thinking today, since we're all about said critical thinking here on the show. How many of you know the history of the labor movement as just being simply a bunch of workers who then banded together to protest poor working conditions in the mid to late 19th century, in the early parts of the Industrial Revolution, right? How many of you know that history? Now, how many of you know that almost every private labor union that was founded during that period was founded or run by straight-up socialists? Chances are, few of you knew that before I just spoke of it. And that's a sad reflection on our handling of the truth in our own history. I mean, dig just even an inch below the surface of Labor Day and the labor movement and you're going to realize just how intertwined labor and socialism have been and continue to be to this very day. But that would require doing more than just simply Googling history of Labor Day in America or history of labor unions in America. You see, because if you actually Google the former, you'll get uh, this whole thing that pops up in a paragraph as its first response, telling us, quote, the first celebrations were in the 1880s being Labor Day. They occurred locally and were organized by workers and unions. These holidays were informal and held in the picnic season at the end of summer, which is one of the reasons we celebrate Labor Day in September. But it wasn't made a federal holiday until 1894, unquote, from Google. Simply put, almost all of that is untrue, other than the physical dates involved. Classic Google! Instead, the real history of Labor Day and the labor movement are actually stories that are literally all about socialism in its practice. It's certainly not about the purity of workers' rights as has been shoved down our throats since we were little kids. So how about we hop into the Wayback Machine, flux capacitor not included. The scene, 1840s America, where the Industrial Revolution is literally revolutionizing life in this country and abroad. We are slowly moving from a rural, agrarian life to a society of big cities, big factories, big ideas, and disruption like the world has not seen since the Enlightenment. As that happens, stories of poor and dangerous working conditions can be found throughout this country. Enter the saviors, known as labor unions, helping to stop those dangerous conditions and working people straight to death. Enter the beginnings of the modern workday that we're told that we must bow down to the labor unions for on this very holiday day. At least, that's the story that you and I were supposed to have known about for all of our lives. The reality, all the labor movement really cared about and cares about today was and is finding ways to make people work for their stated political ambitions, read socialism. The great labor unions were giving us a 10-hour workday back in that 1840s America, and that was supposed to be an accepted part of industry. Hooray workers' rights and safety! Except 
the socialists running the labor unions never actually saw it that way. They expected the newfound leisure time, as they put it, a key code word in the socialist lexicon, even today. But anyway, they expected their workers to use said leisure time to agitate, to strike, to march, and become politically active on behalf of the socialist philosophy. That's right. This entire concept of a uniformed or unified workday was actually designed so that the union members who were being indoctrinated into socialist philosophy all along could use that extra time not for themselves or families, but to do the bidding of socialism as a political philosophy. Could you get any more, I don't know, Richard-like? And by the way, you do not have to take my word for it. In fact, they were pretty damn blunt about their aims over and over and over again throughout the last half of the 19th century. So I'm just going to let them do their own talking. In fact, we're going to fast forward to the year 1866. That's the year following the end of the Civil War. And we're going to find one Karl Marx and a gathering of other international socialists in Baltimore for the General Congress on Labor. At that Congress, the gathered socialists, including Marx himself, managed to pass a resolution calling for an eight-hour workday. See, hooray, workers' rights and safety, once again. Not so fast, my friends, as Lee Corso would say. Turns out, it was all about socialism once again. Cue their own words. English factory inspector R.J. Saunders would say the following about the eight-hour workday resolution. Quote, Further steps towards a reformation of society can never be carried out with any hope of success unless the hours of labor be limited and the prescribed limit strictly enforced, unquote. And why might that be? Because without the extra hours to dedicate towards leisure activity, a.k.a. agitation, striking, marching, and all of that political activism, none of that reformation of society would be achievable. Or, if those words are not good enough for you, how about the resolution itself from the entire General Congress on Labor in regards to said eight-hour workday? One that plainly stated, quote, the first and great necessity of the present to free the labor of this country from capitalistic slavery is the passing of a law by which eight hours shall be the normal working day in all states of the American Union. We are resolved to put forth all our strength until this glorious result is attained, unquote. Of course, there was the key phrase of that time, one that is still in use today in social circles, capitalistic slavery. And the use of that language was as intentional then as it is now. Because again, 1866 was literally on the back of the end of the Civil War here in America. And everybody in that room and those in the rest of society knew of the images that the socialists were attempting to drum up with that language. All about the workers, my foot. The socialists very clearly were playing to the feelings of a country still very much wounded and afraid of anything to do with slavery at that point. Rightfully so, by the way. It was a very on-purpose use of terms, to say the least. Do we or do we not see that very kind of language in debate about capitalism for whatever that it actually exists in today's America versus socialism? Of course we do. So the 1860s to 2023, there's still socialists talking about capitalistic slavery. 
I want you to think about that. Now, if all of that still isn't good enough for you, once again, you don't have to take my word for it because the socialists of the 1890 May Day marches told us plainly that their aim was to abolish wage slavery, end the system of bosses, and make an eight-hour workday law. All of it being the next step in the labor movement with the socialist commonwealth being the final aim, quote-unquote. That is literally the manifesto of the 1890 May Day. Again, all of that, including the eight-hour workday law, being a step in the labor movement with socialist commonwealth being the final aim. Is it any wonder there were a bunch of people that hated these people for the most part? I mean, talk about insufferable pricks. Now, just how much did the American people hate the labor unions during that time? Well, according to historian Morgan Reynolds, speaking about the sentiment of the public in the 1840s, he said, quote, More often, American public opinion was horrified and disgusted by outbreaks of labor violence and union disruption of production, especially if the outbursts had revolutionary overtones, unquote. Yes, that's right. All the way back in the 1840s, the labor movement was, quote unquote, revolutionary in nature. That revolution? A socialist America. And how might they need to achieve it? Well, like any good revolution, by force. Oh, and one last bonus point maybe for you. All of this history that we're talking about and all of these terms and whatever comes from the fringes of those involved in industry and production at the time. As Morgan Reynolds would go on to describe in the history of labor unions from colonialism to 2009, boy, that must have been a fun read. Quote, labor unions were never representative of more than 1% of the labor force until well into the 1870s. So we've covered 1840s, we've covered 1866, all the way to 1890, and only as of 1890 did it represent more than 1% of the entire labor force. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. So how did just 1% of the labor force make a federal holiday happen. Well, that brings me to point number two, the violence, bigotry, and racism that came along with the foundation of the labor movement. That is frankly just disgusting. It's really a tale as old as colonial times, by the way, too, because Reynolds writing in said a history of labor unions from colonialism to 2009 
in regards to the colonial versions of labor unions, said the following, quote, unions were engaged in intimidation, threats, vandalism, and violence, especially against uncooperative workers, denounced as subhuman scabs and black legs. Their reputation, not surprisingly, was that of an antisocial or downright criminal group of men, unquote. We see that in perhaps the two most famous moments in the 19th century history of labor unions in this country, too, by the way. The Haymarket Square Massacre of 1886 and the Pullman Palace Car Company Strike of 1894, both of which actually occurred in Chicago and the latter um, actually possibly likely sparked the recognition of Labor Day nationally. But the story of these two labor incidents is one of pure violence and intimidation on behalf of the labor union movement. I mean, socialism. So let's go backwards to 1886, the Haymarket Square incident taking place in Chicago, where police and alleged anarchist labor union agitators and socialists clashed. Now historians, always loving to separate these groups, helping the union movement stay clean, by the way, despite all the evidence suggesting that they were and kind of always have been one in the same when you say anarchist, labor union, socialist. But anyway, in the end, throughout what turned into nearly three days of protesting and violence, multiple police officers were killed and seven alleged anarchists would end up being rounded up and eventually put to death for their alleged crimes. It was an absolute, complete and total mess from all sides of the story. What is actually never going to be known about the so-called Haymarket Square Massacre is who actually started the violence and how it escalated so quickly out of hand. The socialist side, they allege the police instigated things to this very day, while the police note violence towards them as a flashpoint that started it all, and that's likely to be the case. But the only real truth is that the first killings happened as police were attempting to get replacement workers into a factory on the city's south side, and unionists were absolutely chomping at the bit to attack and beat them down for crossing the picket line. By the way, have you ever seen that happen, a picket line and workers actually crossing said picket line today? Not too much uh, different about wanting to attack and beat those people down, but I digress. Now, as for the Haymarket Square Massacre, the little incident there, it's literally one of just two provable facts that surround the entire story of said Haymarket Square Massacre. Now, regardless of who was agitating, whom killed whom, and all of that, the reality of the May Day protest that happened over multiple days in Chicago that year was a movement seen as violent and criminal thanks to the media portrayal of the day. And that led to fear amongst the politicians in Chicago and around the country, and it stifled any progress on getting that eight-hour workday the unions were looking for. But they were not deterred in the least, because less than a decade later, the violence would come center stage again, this time May 11th, 1894, when the now infamous Pullman Palace Car Company strike began in Chicago. Which brings me to the final point of why I dislike Labor Day so very much, by the way, too government appeasement of violence, and their socialist thuggery. You see, on that fateful May 11th, 1894, people began to strike over wage cuts and the firing of union leaders from their jobs, or so the socialists want you to believe it to be all about. It's way, way more complicated than that, but they were certainly important pieces to the puzzle, so let's give 
reality its due. Anyway, just over a month later, and the agitation was beginning to spread throughout the country as Eugene V. Debs, the head of the American Railroad Union and an avowed socialist, shocking revelation, right? Well, he called for a national strike against the Pullman Palace Car Company, and that meant no using the Pullman cars, which were the most famous and most widely used cars, and it also meant a crippling halt to all railway traffic, the major mode of transportation in this country at the time, also because Chicago happened to be right in the middle point for most of the industrial shipping of the country, you see the problem. It certainly got the attention of the federal government, who, seeing an opportunity to hopefully appease the striking workers and get the economy moving again, would embrace the first socialist-founded holiday in American history known as Labor Day. Later on that summer, President Grover Cleveland would sign Labor Day into the federal holiday register, and Americans would begin to get that day off in mass soon thereafter. Although, to be fair, the actual full day off really wasn't totally adopted until well into the 1950s, but Cleveland and the other capitalist pigs, as the socialists saw them all as, believed all would just be quelled with the declaration of a national holiday. And if you've been paying attention to the lessons of today's show, you already know what's about to come out of my mouth. It didn't work at all. In fact, there's a really ironic twist to Labor Day and May Day in America. One that fast forwards us to some 20 years into the future to the point where the Socialist Labor Party is disavowing Labor Day as too capitalistic for their liking and now backing May Day. And you might say, that's weird. Why would that happen? And why is it important? Well, you see, the Socialist Labor Party is the founder of Labor Day. Also, we watched as one of the first unions to back May Day here in America, the AFL, back out of that socialist holiday because of its association with extreme violence and more revolutionary talk. And thus, they flip to being big backers of Labor Day instead. Socialists are nothing if not hilariously ironic, right? But away from the irony and the violence, we also need to deal with this. They were not founded on violence alone. You see, labor unions in America had the ultimate toxic mix of violence, racism, religious, and immigrant bigotry going for them too. In fact, a deep dive into the history of the two suggests that these concepts are pretty much intertwined. Most, if not all, of the private labor unions established throughout the last 60 years of the 19th century were explicitly racist and anti-immigrant, and many didn't remove the language and barriers to membership for anybody that wasn't white or native-born to America until well into the 20th century. While blacks were a big-time target for these policies, so too were these pesky Catholics who just so also happened to be Irish or Italian immigrants, seen equally as subhuman to the labor union socialists as blacks were in their day. Now, one must ask, why do you and I not know that as a basic fact of the labor movement in American history, given the absolute laser focus today on America's history with race and slavery? 
it wasn't as if this was something exclusive to just a subset of geography or one union over all the rest of them. It was nearly universal in its discriminatory practices. So what gives? Socialism, of course. It has to be protected from criticism at all costs by socialists who occupy then and now the halls of academia. You cannot know that history. Only that America was bad and racist and anti-immigrant itself and labor unions and socialists were the working man's champion. The irony of today's labor movement and its membership isn't lost on me either, by the way, because make no mistake about it, this has everything to do with the survival over anything else. Because today, the whopping 6% of overall private union membership in the total labor force well, the majority is actually black and immigrant-based. Not surprisingly, many of whom also happen to be of the socialist political persuasion. And there we go again, getting our answer to the question that you were probably all asking, how in the hell did that happen? As for the labor unions of the 19th century and their racism and anti-immigrant membership rules and treatment, well, the real history of that period is littered with so many stories that we could be here for Dan Carlin levels of podcasting, and nobody wants that. I don't got three hours. You don't have three hours either. But there are countless recordings of white union members intimidating railroad companies into not using cheaper read black labor while building the railroads out west, also of the immigrants as well. Only white union labor would be good enough and they were not afraid to get violent with black people or immigrants, whom the Union Socialists would tell you very openly were quote-unquote subhuman. Again, their sentiments, not mine. Now, if they dared take jobs that the Unionists of the day believed to be quote-unquote rightfully theirs, beatings and even death were on the offing very often. Those stories were not limited to just the railroad expansion of this country either, and the Catholic immigrants from Ireland and Italy were also subjected to the very same treatments, most of them not accepted until a decade or later into the 20th century, by the way, too. Now, does that sound like a group that's worthy of praise, let alone a nationally recognized holiday today? Is that a movement founded on and still proudly socialist, something that our democratic form of government should be helping in any way, shape, or form? Make no mistake, the worker found benefit from time to time under the socialist agitation of labor unions in America. But that only came when socialists found it to be beneficial to their pocketbook or political aim. One might marvel at their achievements if it weren't built on such a dangerous political and social philosophy. After all, a group that according to many historians represented about 1% of the labor force, let alone society writ large, managed to somehow get their own set of holidays, not just a single holiday, and why? That's the key story here. It's not just because of their political ambition, but it's because that they were willing to use their own people, their own members, let alone intimidate, harass, or even kill anybody that would stand in their way of political power. Yes, the worker came second, and the socialist gain was always first. And that, folks, is why I so very strongly dislike this holiday that we call Labor Day. It is absolutely antithetical to the foundational principles and philosophies of this country. There's nothing that says life, 
liberty, pursuit of happiness about the history or the realities of today's or yesterday's labor movement. And with that, folks, I hope you all enjoy the rest of this time off. And as always, please be smart, be safe, be kind, make sure you eat all of your meals. And as always, Matthew 547. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.